Well, today we continue our series from the Old Testament. And as we have been looking through the Old Testament, we have uh, studied about some of the kings. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was chosen because he looked like a king. He, however, was rejected by God, and David became his successor because God had chosen him. And then Solomon became the successor to David. He was chosen because he was the heir of David. Now, after Solomon, the kingdom was divided into the southern and the northern kingdoms. And the Bible pretty much says of the kings at that point that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So we've looked at several of the kings from the Old Testament. We looked at some of the prophets. There was Elijah. You recall when we looked at Elijah that he had challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel. And Elijah called down fire from heaven that consumed the sacrifice. And then there was Elisha. Elisha was the protege of Elijah. He wanted a double portion of what was on Elijah. And then Micaiah, who got in trouble, of course, because he told the truth as a prophet of God. Well, today we have come to the warriors, or the soldiers, the mighty men of David. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1. Then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord through Samuel. Now verse number 10. Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And these constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had. Shashobim, the son of a Hakamite, the chief of the thirty, he lifted up his spear against three hundred whom he killed at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamon when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle, and there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines. And they took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Now, the, the chapter goes on enumerating some of the other mighty men of David. These men were critical to the success of David. In fact, the Broadman Commentary says, The chronicler asserts that the loyalty of David's men was a significant factor in his rise to fame. Well, what was it about these men? What characterized these men that made them so important to David and to the kingdom of Israel? Well, first of all, they were unwavering in their commitment. Now, Robert Cook wrote, Many a person who started out to conquer the world in shining armor has ended up just getting along. 
The horse got tired, the armor rusty, the goal was removed and unsure. In other words, it's not unusual for someone to begin with a great goal and a deep commitment, but along the way, they begin to lose their commitment, their enthusiasm to their goal. That was not true with the mighty men. In fact, if you look in verse number 10, it says, Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now, what was their goal? These men, what was their goal? It was to make David king. That was their goal. That was their mission. That was their passion, to make David king. Why was that important? Because they believed it to be God's will. This was according to God's Word, so they were unwavering in their commitment. They also were united in their support. It says in verse number 10 that they gave him strong support. In other words, these mighty men became a team to accomplish the goal. Yesterday, I was down here and walking through the hall. Curtis, one of our custodians, was walking through the hall as well, and he was carrying something. I said, Curtis, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting ready for tomorrow. What are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm getting ready for tomorrow. He said, well, we're doing the same thing. And he went on. I thought about that. Ladies and gentlemen, it matters not if one is a custodian and one is a preacher, if one sings in the choir or serves as an usher, teaches a Sunday school class, or takes care of the children, we're all doing the same thing. You see, our goal is to come together to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to preach the Word. And whatever we do, if we are carrying boxes, if we're carrying music, if we're changing diapers, whatever it is, we are all doing the same thing. And that was the mighty men. They had become a team. They were committed to the goal. They were going to make David king because they believed it was God's will, and they became a king in doing so. Something else that characterizes these men is that they were willing to sacrifice in order to accomplish the goal. A couple of weeks ago, I received a letter from one of my cousins, and she said, I was going through some boxes that my parents had, and in those boxes I found some letters that your dad had written when he was in the service back during World War II. And she sent them to me, and I was reading through those letters. I was taken aback by the willing sacrifice that my father and men and women were willing to make to give freedom to this country. You see, when we have such a goal, there is always a sacrifice that goes with it. And sometimes it is separation from family, as it was with my father, and as it was with the mighty men, and as it is with men and women who are serving around the world today. 
separation. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we serve the Lord, that calls for separation from our family, as it did with Abraham when he committed his life to follow the Lord. And the Lord said now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Abraham, if you are going to follow me, then there is a sacrifice that is involved. And you leave your family to follow me. That's true with missionaries around the world today. Some out of our church who are in other countries, away from their family because they are serving the Lord. That was true with Dr. Rebecca Naylor, who grew up in this church and spent most of her adult life in India serving the Lord there. I'm simply saying that when we decide to commit ourselves to the Lord and to His call upon our lives, there is always sacrifice that goes with it. And oftentimes there is danger that goes with it. Doing the work of the Lord does not exempt us from danger. In verse 19, concerning the mighty men, it says they did what they did at the risk of their lives. There was danger. You might recall another story in the Old Testament when Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, told her, that she should approach the king and plead on behalf of the Hebrew people. And she reminded him of the danger. She said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be put to death. In other words, she said, you want me to do this, but there is a risk involved. Folks, there are Christians whose lives are at risk today around the world simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet they continue to give a witness for Christ even though there is danger. As I look at these mighty men, what characterized them? Their unwavering commitment, their willingness to sacrifice, and another thing is that they were unselfish. Do you know that two of these mighty men were not even Jews? In fact, it says in verse number 39, it mentions Zelak, who was an Ammonite. In verse number 46, it mentions Ithma, who was a Moabite. They were not Jews, these two. So what? It meant that they could not even worship in the Jewish temple. In fact, the Scripture says in Deuteronomy 23.3, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Here are two men who were not Jews, who could not attend the synagogue, the temple. And yet they unselfishly continued to serve David, because of the goal. Another characteristic I would say about them is that they were ordinary men doing extraordinary things. They were not royalty. They had not been to the military academy. They had not been to West Point. They had not been to the Citadel. They were were not men who had that opportunity. They were ordinary men with an extraordinary job. That was true with the disciples. They were ordinary men. 
In fact, some of them were fishermen, one of them was a tax collector, Luke was a doctor, but they were just ordinary people. The Bible describes them this way in Acts 4.13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. The Bible says of those disciples of Jesus that they were uneducated. An irony for me, a few years ago when I was at Oxford University, and we went into some of the chapels of the colleges that are there, and I looked at those magnificent stained glass windows depicting the disciples, and it amused me somewhat to think that these men were said to be uneducated, and yet they graced the halls of Oxford University. That's true around the world. They were uneducated. They were untrained, which means that they had not been to the rabbinical schools. But they took note of them. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. That was the thing that made them different. They were ordinary men who had been with Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three ordinary Jewish boys committed to God, and that made them extraordinary. God uses ordinary people, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes people will ask me, do you think God has a sense of humor? And I say, well, look at me. There is absolutely nothing special about me. And yet God has put me here at the First Baptist Church of Columbia, South Carolina. I think that's a joke. I know a lot of you do, but, you know, that's... God uses just ordinary people. He uses ordinary people in this church. I am blessed every time I come with this magnificent choir and orchestra. But you know why that they are so special? Because Steve is far more concerned with their hearts than their voices. He wants people in the choir who love Jesus. And God just uses ordinary people. We have Sunday school teachers, by and large, who have not been to seminary, but they love the Word of God. We have deacons who are ordinary men, but they love the Lord and they love this church. Folks, God uses ordinary people. And when I look at the mighty men, I see that they were committed, unwavering in their commitment. They were willing to sacrifice because they believed God wanted David to be king. They were unselfish and they were ordinary. Then we see their conquests in verse number 11. And these constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had, Jashubim, the son of Ahakamite, the chief of the thirty. He lifted up his spear against three hundred whom he killed at one time. He killed three hundred at one time? That's pretty impressive, but it seems to me like it's stretching things a little. I mean, that seems that it would be an impossible thing that, that one mighty man would kill 300 at one time. And yet it's not exclusive to him. Look at verse number 22. Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, 
Mighty indeed struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion inside a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. Now in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. But he went down to him with the club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. And then there's Samson. The Scripture says in Judges 15:15, And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out and took it and killed 1,000 men with it. You know what all of this says to me when I, when I read about the deeds of these mighty men? Those things that are impossible with man are possible with God. The Bible says in Luke one thirty seven, For nothing will be impossible with God. Jashubim was able to do what he did because God was with him. Moses was able to part the Red Sea because God was with him. And ladies and gentlemen, with God we can do the impossible. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There was Eliezer in verse number 12. It mentions, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was one of the three mighty men. Now look at verse number 13. He was with David at Pasdamim when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle, and there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines, so all the people left. Look at verse 14. And they took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Samuel gives more details about this in 2 Samuel 23.10. He wrote, He arose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. We are encouraged by those people who take a stand and stand, don't we? Not those people who, you know, you never know where they're going to end up. They might be standing with you one moment, and the next moment you're looking around and they're gone. But boy, those people who take a stand that you can count on. I was thinking about that as I was preparing the sermon. I thought, Mendel Lee, my goodness, that man, he stood there. I think about a Jack McCatherine, a man who takes a stand and stands there. We are encouraged by people who take a stand and they you don't wonder where they're going to be. You know where they're going to be because they take a stand and they stand there. That was Eliezer. We see the conquest, but where did they get such confidence? Where did they get that kind of confidence? I think it came from their belief in God. You see, they believed that God did not change, that He was immutable, which is exactly what the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If He parted the Red Sea yesterday, if He provided manna yesterday, then they could trust Him today. And if they can trust Him today, then we can count on Him tomorrow. Because He's unchanging. Ladies and gentlemen, our God is an unchanging God, and that's what they believed, that He was immutable, that He had not changed. That His power was not diminished, and that's good news for us. 
If God could save Paul, take Saul, who persecuted the church, and turn him into the apostle Paul, who preached the gospel, then he still has the power to save you. If he could strengthen the mighty men back then that they did heroic things, then he can strengthen you today for whatever it is that you are facing. His power is not diminished. With an unchanging, all-powerful God, our situation is never hopeless. Listen, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter what our situation might be today, it is not hopeless. You see, there are some who have health issues. And perhaps everyone has told you that it is hopeless. Not with God, it is not hopeless. There are some of you who are having marital problems and you think the situation is hopeless. Not with God, it's not hopeless. There are some of you who have financial needs and you say, well, you know, it just seems like it's hopeless. Not with God, it is not hopeless. Because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and His power is not diminished from one generation to the next. And if God met their needs, then He is capable of meeting your needs. Where did they get such confidence, these men? I believe they got it because of their faith in God, because of what they believed about God. And ladies and gentlemen, truthfully, sometimes we do not have the confidence we should because of our belief in God. We simply do not believe that God is able, that God cares, that God will. And sometimes we don't have the power that we should because of that. They were also men of courage. I would imagine that when boys were growing up during that time or after this time, that they would think about those mighty men and they would pretend to be those mighty men. They were probably their heroes. I was down here Friday night and they had the Grand Prix and the kids were racing the cars that their dads had made. (laughs) And I looked at some of those cars and, you know, there was a Batmobile and they had all of these things that they had down there. And I thought, you know, those are the heroes of those kids. My heroes when I was growing up, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. But that was, uh, those were the heroes. They wore, you knew they were heroes because they wore white hats. You could, you could point them out. But I would imagine that the little boys growing up at this time or after these people, th- th- these were their heroes. They looked to them. They were men of courage, and that's who we want as our hero, people of courage. David was uh, encouraged by them. Look at verse number 17. David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. David began to think about that water, that sweet water from his hometown, Bethlehem. He thought about that, Oh, man, I'd give anything for a drink of that water. And he began to crave a drink of the water from the well there in Bethlehem. Verse number 18, So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. 
Matthew Henry wrote, He longed for the water of the well at Bethlehem, but when he had it, he would not drink it. You see, the sacrifice was too great. These men, at the risk of their lives, went to get him a drink. Henry continues, That water which he thought too good, too precious for his own drinking, he poured out to the Lord for a a drink offering. David said, Oh, what you have done, that is too much. And he was humbled by their courage. And the Bible says, rather than drink this water that he had craved, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. He was humbled by it in verse 19. Be it far from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? For at the risk of their lives they brought it, therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. He was humbled by their devotion. I I don't know about you, but I can guess. We are humbled by the mighty men in our lives, aren't we? I'm humbled by the sacrifice of other people. I'm, I'm aware of the sacrifice of so many people. And I am humbled by their willingness to sacrifice and think, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy to untie their shoes. We are humbled by the sacrifice of others, the selflessness of others. I think about my own parents who did without things they needed to give me things I didn't need. And humbled by the sacrifice that is made by the people. See, that was David. He was humbled by the display of devotion from these mighty men to break through and get him a drink of water. And he said, I can't take that. So he gave it to the Lord. We are touched by such men, humbled by such men and women. But what is it that makes them different? It's not education, not the degrees that they hold. It isn't heritage. It's not the name they bear. It's the heart. These people, these men, were special because their hearts were committed to God. I would like to be like that, would you? Not just to go through life, people never knowing where you are, where you stand, but devoted to Jesus. I would especially like to be like that as far as my family is concerned, wouldn't you? Well, then how can we? Be unwavering in your commitment. Unwavering in your commitment to the Lord. Be willing to pay the price, sacrifice whatever is necessary, and unselfish in your commitment to sharing the gospel of Christ. My friend, God uses ordinary people who do extraordinary things because they are anointed of the Holy Spirit. And you can be anointed ordinary person doing extraordinary things as you're anointed by God. But it comes through obedience to Him. Today I'm asking you if you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, would you? Would you do that? If God is speaking to your heart about something, would you have the courage to say yes to God, regardless as to the sacrifice? Would you? Those were the mighty men.
Father, we thank you for this example of men committed to you because they believed that this was your will. And I pray, Father, for a time that we go into an invitation. Lord, for men and women and young people, boys and girls, who should commit their lives to Jesus, that they would do so. Father, for people who need a church family, a church home, that they would feel welcome here. Lord, I just lift up this invitation to you and ask that you anoint it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to stand in just a moment. The choir's going to sing. Let me encourage you to come today to trust the Lord, to join the church, whatever God's leading you to do, that you'd come. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings, and as they do, you come, I'll greet you as you come.